0: So I want to share something with you. When I lived in Rockford, Illinois, I was a pastor in Rockford, Illinois, and I ran a program out there, and uh, a, a friend of mine asked me to help him out. He was going through a, a, a terrible divorce, and he asked me to go with him to the courthouse, and, 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 and I was just helping him out. And as I waited in the fourth floor of this courthouse, first time I was ever in this courthouse, I witnessed the devastating effects of broken families trying to navigate through the consequences of their choices. It was really a difficult day and a really difficult situation. To my room, to the room to, the, to my right was filled with people who were asking a judge to end their marriage. Surprisingly enough, the room to my left was filled with people asking a judge or a justice of the peace to legally unite them in marriage. And both rooms were packed with people coming in, people going out. And what was said, as people walked out of both rooms, I couldn't tell which group of people were happier. A little thin wall separated both rooms where I witnessed a lack of respect and even knowledge of how significant it was to stand before a judge. And ask that judge, to say, either I want in or I want out of this marriage, and then waiting for that judge to grant them their request. To tell you the truth, I was deeply saddened by witnessing all of this. I thought, do these people even realize how significant these decisions and commitments really are? Do they realize how important the question, do you take this woman or do you wish to terminate this marriage really is? my heart was deeply moved and I started praying for them knowing that one day they would stand before the judge. And the only only thing in question that day was did they know the judge before they saw the judge. And when you know the judge before you see the judge you don't get judged on whether you get in or not. You get judged on what you did with God's son Jesus Christ. You get to hear things like not guilty. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I pray that God will bless them. I pray that each and every one of them will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in order for that to happen, they would have to answer the two most important questions they'll ever have to answer. And the questions they had to answer that day doesn't even compare in significance to the questions that I'm talking about. I've had to answer And even ponder some pretty important questions in my life. Like, do you take this woman? Which school you want to go to? How do you plead? Not guilty if you're wondering. So, but do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And do you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior? Those were the two questions that produced the answer that changed my life. Those were the two questions that were the two most important questions I ever had to answer in my life. The day I answered yes to those questions and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, friends, I gotta tell you, that was a landmark day for me. That was a draw the line in the sand. I'm crossing over day for me. It was the day I was saved for myself. It was the day I was saved from my sins. It was the day I put a stake in the ground and declared who I was gonna live for. It was the day my name was written in a book, never to be erased. It was the day I crossed over from death to life. It was the day I was born again. It was the day I was made into a new creation where old things had passed. It was the day my past was forgiven. It was the day I was healed and set free. It was the day I got a new mind, a new heart with new and right desires. It was the day that love came down. It was the day that resurrection power decided to take residence in me. It was the day I was granted authority. It was the day that the Holy Spirit decided to live in me. It was the day I got a new lease on life. I've never been the same. It is by far the most significant day and the most important decision I've ever made in my entire life. This was the day I entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he became my savior, my Lord, my healer, the lover of my soul, not just my higher power. That was the day I invited the God of unfailing love to take residence in me. And guess what? He did. And many of you know my story. Many of you know about my failures, my addictions, how I messed up everything in my career and my whole life. My whole life was out of control and I was about to lose everything, but the person that knew everything about me My wife came home one day full of the Holy Spirit and looked at me and said, Bill, God would never give up on you, and I'm never going to give up on you, and God can forgive you for anything that you've ever done, and so can I. And to this day, she's never held me hostage to my past life. She said, I don't know if I could ever forget, but I'm willing to give it a try if you're willing to give your life to Jesus Christ. It was in that moment I began to earnestly believe that God exists, that I really do matter to him, and that he had the power to help me recover. I wanted to know this God. I wanted to surrender to this God. I wanted to live for this God. I told God that night, I'll do anything you want me to do, just as long as I know it's you. I had a road to Damascus experience. I've never looked back. I started running that hard to God as I ran from God. I have never regretted one single minute of my personal relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It turned my whole life around for the better. I'm a walking miracle, and so are you, because God is the great recycler of pain, and he makes us a trophy of his grace. That's what he does, and he does it better than anyone in the universe. In Matthew 16, Jesus posed this important question to his followers one day. Now, up to this point, they had witnessed all kinds of miracles, heard him teach like no other. And one day, Jesus just turns around out of the blue. And here's what he says in Matthew 16, 13 through 17. He says, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people, what are people saying about me? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Now, scripture's up on the screens. But watch this. Watch how Jesus turns it around and makes it personal to them. And just as he's making it personal to them, he's making it personal to us. And he's asking this question to us tonight. But what about you? What about you? He asked. I know what others are saying. Don't miss that, too. Jesus knows what other people are saying about who he is. You hear a lot of crazy things about who God is, don't you, out there? He says, I know what others are saying, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So just like Peter, I had the same response. And it was in that moment I was standing face to face with another question. Okay, Bill, since all that's true, will you let me help you? Will you let me lead you? Will you let me set you free? Will you let me teach you? Will you let me bless you? Will you let me be your Lord and Savior and leader of your life, the CEO of your life? And when I I said yes to Jesus, and principle three, consciously choose to commit my life, all my life will, don't miss the two, they're different, to Christ's care and control, my life began to change. And guess what? I wasn't the same. I've never been the same. Never. And the Bible poses this question, and I love that Pastor Marty Walker talked about this this past weekend. He says in Second Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? Now, listen, God's the only one that knows someone's heart. He's the only authority that could ever say if someone's saved or not. But I truly believe that there's a lot of people walking around today in church, not just out of church, in church, that think they're saved, and they're not. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to give you a biblical outline of what you have to do to be saved. What does it mean to to choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control? In other words, what does it mean to give my heart to Jesus? How do you take that step? How do you respond to God's invitation to change your life? What's involved? How can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I pass this test? Apparently, we're given a test question in the Bible. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? I don't want anyone to fail the test. That's my job. My job is to prepare you for eternity. My job is to do that. And for those of you that uh, that are saved, my job is to prepare you so well that you're not going to get shocked when you get to heaven either. Exactly. But what must I do to be saved? You know, this is a question that people have been asking since the beginning of time. In the book of Acts in 1630 and 31, a jailer in the city of Philippi put it clearly when he cried out, what must I do to be saved? To be saved is a term in the Bible that describes, that describes having our sins being forgiven plus the assurance that we're going to go to heaven. Paul's response to the jailer was significant. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. Don't miss that. Well, fine, you think. What does believing actually mean? It starts when you can put your name on Romans 3.23, which tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, and that includes me. Responding to God's invitation begins and ends with humility, Well, you just have to say, you know, that's true about me. I've got a problem. I've got a habit. I've got an anger issue. I've got a hurt or a fear I take out on others. Basically, it's a sin problem. I know I fall short. I know I need help, and God, I'm coming to you humbly. In the original Greek of the New Testament, the word used for sin was actually an archery term. It simply meant to miss the mark. If you've taken notes, you can fill in the blanks on your outline. It simply meant to miss the mark. You know, my wife, uh, I just love her so much. Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but one time uh, we were actually on the 700 Club. And, uh, with, you, you know, we were on TV, and they, they interviewed us, and uh, it was a terrible, uh, was, I was going through a terrible time because I had someone try to take care of this white spot, and my hair turned red. <laughs> I looked like Opie from, you, you know, uh, and it was horrible, and, uh, but one of the questions that they interviewed me on, you know, was, was my experience before I got married and when I got married, and I said, you know, I didn't know what it meant to have a covenant relationship with God. I didn't know what, it, what a covenant relationship was in marriage. I just thought I'd give it my best shot. Well, you know, the person doing the TV show, well, Bill's best shot wasn't good enough. And that went on TV all across the world. Bill's best shot wasn't good enough. In honesty, my best shot was not good enough because I didn't have God. And I know now that it's impossible to love someone else the way God intended us to love another person another person, until we first receive the love that God has for us that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have no capacity to love until you receive Jesus Christ. You'll never learn how to love. You'll never be able to love until you are forgiven. Those that are forgiven much they love much. If you're not forgiven much, you'll never be able to love much. So if God's perfect standard is the bullseye, the archery term, how many times have I missed it? Don't say anything, but millions, maybe a few for you, but millions for me. According to God's flawless standards, no human being in his or her own standards has ever missed the mark. Not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham, nobody, not even the guy who wrote Romans 3, the Apostle Paul. Who called himself the chief of sinners? We all have a sin problem. We all miss the mark. We've all made mistakes. We've all caused someone else some kind of pain because of our words and our action. None of us have lived a perfect life, and none of us are perfect. Now, some of us may be farther off the bullseye than others, and I get that. You know, this is a funny thing because you know I love to witness to people. I was witnessing to to a lady on the plane, and 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 I said, "If you died today, and I said if." If you're going to meet the judge, I said, how do you know he's going to to welcome you into his kingdom? And her response is the same response that I hear from thousands, and I believe that millions of people believe. If I'm good enough, and because God's a God of love and grace, he'll have mercy on me. And I believe because of my goodness that he'll allow me to come into heaven. Wrong answer. We all miss it because God's mark means absolute, total, complete, flawless perfection. Look what it says in James 2.10. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one, except one, if you break one law, one law, okay, you get aggravated at that person on the 405, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws guilty people we're all guilty and the only way to to get rid of guilt is get to the source of it guilt is the result of sin and the only way to eliminate guilt and sin is by being forgiven and only god can forgive you Or maybe you think you can earn god's approval no there's nothing you can do there's nothing you can do to make god stop loving you god loves you when you're running away from him and god loves it when you're running to him there's nothing you can do. Even on your best day, there's nothing you can do to pay your debt. There's nothing you can do to settle the score. That's why heaven doesn't grade on the curve. Heaven grades on the cross and the blood that was shed on this cross. That's what it grades on. We're all guilty and we all, we're all in need of a Savior. Someone who can take our sins away. Enter Jesus Christ. Well, we just saw in Romans 3 that we all have a sin problem. Now let's look at the the verse right before that in Romans 3.22. We are made right. Don't miss that. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. You know, I was talking to a friend of me and Carolyn's in our church in Kentucky one day who brought a friend to church. And I'll never forget this. This was a long, long time ago after I first got saved. And she brought a friend, she introduced her friend to us, and I told her friend, first thing I said to her, this is a great place to get right with God. And and our friend smacked me in the arm, Bill Reeser, how dare you say that? How dare I, how could I not say that? How could I not say that? Because that's what it says right here. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It's true for all of us who miss the mark. That's why they call it the good news. I read a devotion that that said, one thing I've always loved is sitting back and watching a good football game. I especially love watching games where it's raining and the field looks like a pigsty. You ever watch a football game when everyone's in mud? You can always tell who gets the most playing time by looking at whose uniform is the muddiest. But just imagine one of those those players, caked in mud, just filthy, grime, dirt, all in their faces, sweaty, stinky, can't even see the numbers on his jersey, walks off the field without even changing or taking a shower, and walks into the nicest steakhouse in that town. Do you think they'd let him in? I don't think so. I think he'd be thrown out, and apart from Christ, apart from Christ, that's a small glimpse of how we would appear before God in our own righteousness if we think we're going to get into heaven based on our good. Listen, here's a good way to put it. I wouldn't trust the best 10 minutes of my life to get me into heaven, and and, there are some days where I think I'm good, but I'm a, let's, let's just face it. We're all dirty, rotten scoundrels. We are. We all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. And I love this in Titus 3, 3-7. It says, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, of evil and envy, and we hated each other. This was the first 36 years of my life. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Friends, I want you to have that confidence tonight that you're going to inherit eternal life. It's when you come to God and say, I know, I've, I, know I made mistakes. I know I got a sin problem. I realize my need for a Savior. And I want you to know that I'm sorry for the way, like I live, like you don't even exist. And I want all of that to change. You know what the Bible calls that? Repentance. It's a word you don't hear often today but it's the first recorded word to have fallen from the lips of Jesus after he began his ministry. You know what the Bible says in Matthew? It said, this was the message that Jesus preached over and over. He preached this message all the time. And I hear a lot of pastors say, oh, Jesus preached more about money, preached more about this, preached more about that. You want to know what Jesus' central message was that he preached over and over and over? He might have talked about those things, Money and prayer and, and all those things. But what he preached over and over again was Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible tells us that God has commanded all men and women everywhere to repent. Acts 17, 30 through 31. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people, all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead listen I'm not going to follow just anybody but if someone said he can he can defeat death and actually pull it off I'm going to follow him I'm going to do what he says nobody else said they can do that but him and he's the only one that pulled it off. But repent is a pivotal word. So what does it mean? What does it mean to repent? Repent means to change or make a U-turn. This is important. It's like driving down the highway and you're going down a certain area, just like this, and you go, whoop, you start going in the opposite direction. That's what giving your life to Christ is all about. It's turning around and you gotta see, because this is a whole, it's a, it's a call they used to make in biblical terms and you give your life to Christ. See, more than simply being sorry, it's a word of action. See, many people, listen to me very carefully, many people feel remorse for their sin. A lot of you feel remorse for your sin, but you never truly repent. There's a huge difference between being miserable and being broken. You can feel miserable for the way your actions have wreaked havoc in your life and in the life of others, but still not be broken. You can continue to use... You can continue to drink, get angry, purge, gamble, view porn, remain bitter, and so on, to cover your tracks, play the con games, try and excuse and justify it all, and all the while be completely miserable. But brokenness, true repentance, true repentance, true godly sorrow is a decision to say I'm sorry for the pain I've caused others and you, God. And I'm turning, I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning from my habits, my compulsions, my bad coping mechanisms. I'm turning from them, and I'm turning to you. Remorse is being sorry. Repentance is being sorry enough to stop. Let me say it again. Remorse is being sorry. Repentance is being sorry enough to stop. Repentance is finally agreeing with God about the madness of self-justification. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance, repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And may I add, regret, shame and guilt that you will never, ever be able to manage or get rid of. Romans 10, 9 through 13. Hold off on that. In the story of the prodigal son, the man who went off and did his own thing and ended up wasted, he knew he was wrong. You know that story. He had everything and decided to take his riches his inheritance and just blow it. He did his own thing. He ended up wasted. He knew he was wrong, probably knew it from the beginning. And it really didn't take that guy to get long, to, for him to get to that miserable stage. It really didn't. But nothing changed until the prodigal son got to the broken stage, acted on that knowledge, crawled out of that pig pen and made a conscious decision to start running home to his father. He had a change of mind that resulted in a change of direction. While repenting is turning from our sins, faith is turning our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. That's that's what happened to me. That's what happened to so many of you. And that's what's going to happen to so many of you tonight. I'm going to ask you all in just a couple of minutes to get out of your seat and come forward and turn To the cross and turn to Jesus. And when we do this, we open up our lives to the healing, reconciling, restoring, uplifting grace of Jesus Christ who loves us despite us. If you ever doubt that God loves you, just look at this cross. He loves you this much. He really does. He really does. Here's how to do that Romans 10 9 13. Says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified in. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish, it doesn't matter whether you're an atheist, agnostic, doesn't matter what you believe, what you don't believe, what you've done, what's been done to you up to this point. God blesses all who call on Him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It really is that simple. You need to know something else. You need to know why, what, Bill, why are you putting out a cross? Why are you asking me to get out of my seat? Why are you asking me to come forward? go to this cross and then in in a few minutes after the cross we're going to lift up that screen and there's going to be a baptism pool back there and we're going to baptize you and we're going to ask you to get baptized why are we asking you to do that in public why are we doing that because a lot of people say well you know it's just me and my Jesus you know nobody else me and my Jesus I don't want to tell anybody else it's just a private thing I like to keep my faith to myself just me and my homie Jesus Well, listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. It's not about reciting some magical formula. It's really a place where your heart gets to. When you're humble enough to go public with your belief in Jesus Christ, you're not afraid to let anyone know that you're a person who has realized the truth about who you are, that you needed a Savior, and yet you're turning and running towards God. And when you're asked the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And do you trust Him to be your forgiver, leader and Lord of your life? You humbly and gratefully respond, absolutely. Are you kidding me? That's who I live for. That's my King. That's who saved my life. And that's who I'm going to live eternity for. So let's talk about this, because this is important for you to understand what it means to believe. What does it mean to believe? This kind of faith means that you realize that that Jesus Christ is the very Son of God. He's the one who loves you so much that he died on a cross like this over 2,000 years ago because he loved you. He demonstrates his love for you in this. He died for you. While you didn't want anything to do with him, he died for you. To pay the penalty for your sin, then rose from the dead three days later. It's God's desire for you to believe that and ask him into your life so that you can let his life define your life. It's really that simple. But believing is not just merely intellectual assent. It's just not head knowledge. It's not just knowing that a good man named Jesus Christ was the son of God. He lived, died, and rose again. Look what it says in James 2.19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what else you got? To believe. Let me, let me explain what belief means. To believe runs deeper than that. As the word is used in the Bible, here's what believe, believing in Jesus Christ really means. It means to put your trust in. It means to cling to. There are going to be days where you're going to need to cling to Jesus Christ. No one else is going to be around but Christ to rely on and to love back. When you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying with your heart and verbalizing with your mouth, I realize my need for a Savior. I'll put my trust in. I'll cling to. I'm going to rely on, and I'm going to love Jesus back. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. The word believe also implies letting go of something. If I'm clinging to one thing, I'm letting go of another thing. I have, I have met with Christ followers who have never ever let go of the things they used to do before they became Christians for years. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. It's about beginning a new life. A life that no longer relies on human willpower to make it through, but a daily surrender to the care and control of Jesus Christ. It's about beginning a new life. You invite him into your life, and you rely on him every step of the journey. There are going to be days, moments, seconds, minutes that you're going to need him by your side. And guess what? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll always be with you. But it's one grace-filled step at a time. And he's going to transform you into a new person. He's going to help you walk free from the chains that have kept you in bondage for all these years. And when you make the commitment to turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus, you have to go all in by getting baptized. Baptism isn't just an event that you should do at some point in your life when you get ready. It's not about that. Baptism is part of this process. Look what it says in Romans. I love the message version. Watch what it says. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, which you're going to have the opportunity to do so, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace sovereign country. You know, for every person that gets baptized, that goes public, you're preaching a message. And you're preaching the message of Christ. That's why when I baptize people, I'll say death, burial, resurrection as I pull them out of the water says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, which is why in a couple minutes I have some nails here and a hammer, and I'm going to ask you to nail a decision to give your life to Jesus Christ on this cross. You're going to have an opportunity to commit or recommit your life at the cross where it all starts. We believe this. If we get included in Christ's sin, conquering death, we're also going to get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. Anybody need God to come down into your situation? From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's why you see a cross. That's why that screen's going to be lifted up and there'll be a pool behind there, a baptism. To that screen to my right. And in a few minutes, again, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm going to ask everyone to get out of their seat. To nail a decision to give your life and heart to Jesus Christ. And then follow up that decision by getting baptized. Why am I asking you to do that? Because Jesus modeled the, the act Jesus modeled getting baptized as an act of obedience. It's how his ministry got started. And when he did, the heavens opened up, and the Father said these words, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, and I believe that heaven is open tonight. And the Father is looking down, and he wants to say the same words that he said to Jesus, this is my daughter, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I know heaven is open tonight. Jesus not only modeled it, he commands us to do it. This is why we're a discipleship, recovery, and evangelistic program. It says in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Some of you got that backwards. You want to be taught everything by God without being baptized, and therefore there's a block, and you can't understand where that block is because you haven't been obedient to the Scriptures that says the very next thing that you're supposed to do once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is to get baptized. Acts 2.38, Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision that you make to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's supposed to be the very next thing that you do once you give your life to Jesus Christ. Now some of you are thinking, and I was, I was baptized as a baby. And praise God for your parents or whoever did that for you. But look at the scripture. If you were a baby, how could you turn from your sins? How could you repent? How could you accept Jesus into your heart with your mouth and in your heart? And then the very next thing that you're supposed to do, because it's supposed to be your decision, the very thing that you're supposed to do is get baptized. Some of you are thinking that question right now. Why should I get baptized? Here's a better question. You ready? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You think, well, man, I gotta clean things up a little bit. No, you get baptized, Jesus will clean it up for you. That's what he does. Listen, good intentions aren't enough. Agreeing what I say is not enough. We have to admit that we're sinners. Repent of that sin, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, the prodigal son could have repeated his refrain over and over and over, I am no longer worthy to be your son. I am no longer worthy to be on your son. He could have said it the rest of his life and remained separated from his father. But he did more than just say that. He acted on that. He got up and he started walking towards his father. He got up out of that pig pen out of that place of dirt and grime, and he started walking towards his father. And I can't begin to tell you how badly God wants you to hear those words that the prodigal son heard that night. Welcome home. God wants you to hear those words tonight. Welcome home. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to respond to God's gracious invitation to start a new life? Because tonight could be your landmark night. It could be the night where you draw a line in the sand. It could be a night where you cross over from life to death. Because starting or restarting your journey at the foot of the cross can be the most significant thing you do for your recovery, your life, your family, because of the great victory that was won on this cross. You see, it was at this cross where radical love was put on display. It was at the cross where Jesus took every sin, defeated that sin, became that sin, Die to that sin, overcame sin and death so that we could be made right with God. Look what it says in Colossians 2.13, but you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. There's a record of charges against you until you open up your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and then you're declared not guilty. You can have that victory tonight by responding to God's gracious invitation of love. Whatever your hurt, whatever your habit, whatever your past, whatever mistake, whatever your pain, whatever sin you committed, Jesus paid it all so you can be healed and set free if you would just accept his free gift of grace tonight. You picked a great night to be here because as an encounter family, we're all going to be given an opportunity to make that decision. Each of you has a card. I want to make sure that everyone has a card. Uh, volunteers, there are people without cards. Everyone should have a program and cards right now. You may want to start filling out those cards. And there's two questions on those cards, and I'm going to go over that with you in just a second. But I want to talk to a different group of people. Some of you are going to make that decision for the first time tonight, and if that's you, way to go. Congratulations. I want you to know there's going to be a party here, and there's going to be a major celebration in heaven when that happens. The Bible said that there's a celebration in the presence of God whenever one person repents and gives their lives to Jesus Christ. For some of us, we've been following Christ for years, but from time to time we struggle, don't we? We still want to play God. We still want to be the master of our own universe by trying to manage our pain, control other people, change our past, and we forget that we've given control over to God. Maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart, some issue or burden that you've not been able to lay down, and it's causing you to lose peace. See, it's in the turning over of our wills and agreeing to submit to his leadership that we experience true change, true healing, real freedom, real inner peace, contentment, purpose, and meaning in this thing called life. Friends, it's not about trying harder. It's about giving up control. It's about surrender. And for those of you that are ready to make that decision, you've got a couple options on that card. If tonight you're going to make that decision for the first time, where you believe that tonight is your real salvation experience, just mark that box. It's the first question. And for those of us that are That have made that decision, you wanna recommit your life to Christ, just check that box off. That's the second box. And if you're not there yet, spiritually, you're in a safe place to explore what this all means. Feel no pressure. Thank you for being here. We love you, and God loves you more. It's as simple as that. But for the rest of us, we all have residual junk that we're still carrying. Maybe we wanna leave it at the cross. Maybe it's your shame. Maybe it's your guilt. Maybe it's your fear. Maybe it's your insecurity. Maybe it's the scar from a bad divorce. Maybe it's an addiction you can't break. Whatever it is, tonight it's about walking toward the cross. I actually had one of these nights and someone nailed a pack of cigarettes to it one night. (laughs) Tonight it's about doing something different, changing the direction of your life, making that U-turn and completely surrendering your life. Aren't you glad that Jesus said you don't have to have it all together to come to him? Some of you think, well, let me get a few things together. Jesus said, come to me. I love this, that Myra shared this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. She can preach it better than I can. And I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. So let me ask you, if you're hurting, tired, confused, mad, defeated, sick, weary, beaten, bruised, Jesus says, come to me. Come to the cross, and you're going to find new life. Psalm 91, 14 through 16 says, God says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call upon me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them, and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Isn't that a great scripture? Notice that God says, you do your part, and he'll do his part. You call, he answers, that's it. And it's very important to understand that in any rescue operation, the rescuer gets to determine the means of the rescue. Did you hear that? You don't get to determine how you're saved. It's not up to you. It's up to your Savior. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's our memory verse of the week. Let's just say it all out loud together. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus doesn't say he's a good way, a nice way. He says, I'm it. If there was a plan B, God wouldn't have sent plan A to come down and die for you. So if you're going to be saved and have all your sins forgiven, there's only one way it's going to happen. You're going to have to call on the name of Jesus. I'm going to end this in a very different way as the worship team comes. I, uh, it's been a tough week for me and Carolyn, and we all struggle with things. We really do. And uh, my daughter is going through the battle of her life right now. She really is struggling, and uh, I have to fly to Kentucky tomorrow. And I'm going to go be with her because I just need to go be a dad for a while. I'll be back with a vengeance. I'll be back fired up. Don't worry about that. But uh, one time, a girl was asked to uh, write a paper in her school about what her philosophy of life was. And because it was a public school, she was told specifically not to mention anything about God, otherwise she would get a failing grade. And that's what it is today. And uh, and so this was a girl in a public school in Lexington, Kentucky, and this was her paper that she handed in as a 16-year-old, talking about what her philosophy of life is. And here's what she writes. She says life is more than this mere little experience on earth. One One out of every one of us will die. There's no way of escaping it. And I believe that people put too much focus on this life here on earth when it will just soon end anyway. It's really not as important as people think. After all, it just ends up being a dash on your tombstone. And I don't believe in being caught up in this world in my short life here. I believe in an eternal life after my life here on earth is through. I'm convinced everything of this world will fade away. And I'll probably be forgotten here on earth after I die. So why worry about my life here? There's no doubt in my mind I was made by an almighty God And I'm able to live with him forever because of a savior by the name of Jesus. This is the center of my whole philosophy. I know exactly who I am. A child of God who was put here on earth for for his purpose. And when I'm through, I will live with him forever forever. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where I'm going when I die, and a lot of people can't say that. This is because they focus their life here. They're like little kids at Christmas in a sense. Kids at Christmas always think if they get just that one toy, then, then they'll be happy for the rest of their lives. And then they get the toy and play with it, then after a few weeks get bored with it. People who don't know the true meaning of life are exactly like this. They chase after things like money, popularity a car economic status a job or whatever it might be and think if only they had that their life would be complete and then when they do get more money they always want more And when they do get a new car they want to get rid of it when they see the commercial for next year's model they still aren't satisfied because nothing in this earth will satisfy them because this earth is not our permanent home we were meant to live with God and that is why our souls long for something to fill us But when it is something other than God, it will never satisfy. This is the reason why I'm so satisfied. I was searching and I finally found God. I'm here to live for him and let him do what he wants with me. In one of my favorite movies, Forrest Gump, Forrest says, this quote that goes, I don't know if we each all have a destiny or if we're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. I don't want to be floating around accidental like on a breeze. I want my life to actually have a purpose. A lot of people go through this life chasing after the wind, never realizing the true meaning of life. I wouldn't trade my life for anything in this world. And you know, we make declarations like that. And my daughter made that declaration, and now she's in the fight for her life struggling with a little postpartum depression, but God will see her through. And I'm going to go home and read her own letter to her. If you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to all stand up. I want to recommit your life. I want everyone to stand up. And I want you all to pray this prayer with me. And as soon as I'm done praying this prayer, I want you to all come to the cross. There'll be some volunteers that will give you a nail and a hammer. The worship team is gonna play, and then when they're done, I'm gonna give you instructions of how to get to that pool to my right. Are you ready? Pray this prayer with me. Say it out loud. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I trust in him and him alone for the forgiveness of my sins and the free gift of salvation. I repent, turn from my sins, and surrender my life and will to the care and control of Jesus Christ. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and your power, and make my life a testimony of your grace, power, and love. Let's worship. Let's come to the cross.